Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN merch button click on that it'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that hey on the swag that i'm using it's the headquarters of sports yesteryear sports history network and my favorite podcaster the sports history network store shop there today Tonight, we'll go back in time, the seasons past. 22 men graced the rugged fields of yesterday, fighting for one more first down, one more yard gain, one final score that would bring victory after 60 minutes of battle on the gridiron. Tonight, we'll explore the world of gridiron greats. Welcome to gridiron greats, football history of memorabilia <laughs> on the gridiron greats publishing and Broadcasting Network. We're live from the Southport, North Carolina home of Gridiron Greats Magazine. I'm Bob Swick, publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and I'll be your host for the show. Gridiron Greats is the only publication in America that focuses upon the history and memorabilia of the North American football game since its inception in 1869. We cover 150-plus years of football history and memorabilia. You can find us on the web at RedIronGreatsMagazine.com It is at this time I'd like to introduce my co-host the senior contributing writer to Gridiron Greats Magazine a football memorabilia historian specializing in pre-World War II items in particular Red Grange and also Seattle Seahawk items in particular Steve Larkin Behold from Portland, Oregon Mr. Joe Squires, Jeff, welcome to the show this evening. Captain, good to be here. I'm still getting used to not hearing Wallingford, Connecticut in your preamble. And as we continue to wait for the house to be finished, we still <laughs> trudge on in our condo rental. And it's uh, very, uh, a very different way of living and being. I'm not liking it after 122 days now <laughs> being down there. Can't wait to get in the house. Yeah, but I'm going to get moving. 122 days. I love it. So what are you forced to do the show in like a spare room of the condo or? 
yeah, basically uh, we got a, a two-bedroom condo we rented, and one of the bedrooms we have a ton of stuff stored here for the house. And this is my little makeshift office that I operate out of. And uh, it's it's definitely definitely interesting. And as I've commented before, I've lived in exactly three houses in my lifetime in a basically eight-mile eight radius between North Brantford and Wallingford, Connecticut. So to go 800-plus miles away uh, for an early retirement has been uh, a, definitely a different adjustment for uh, me. But anyways, but it's beautiful there. Hopefully, we'll be in the pictures you've sent. Oh, it is. The pictures I, you've, you've texted me, are, they look beautiful. And uh, you know, today's a, a good example. It's sunny and it's seventy degrees out. It is absolutely beautiful, and we're probably going to be going to the beach this afternoon, and just yes. sit on the beach and get nice sunshine and fresh air and watch the waves. And it's pretty cool. But anyways, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about infamous 1950 Bowman football set. And that's a set that took me quite a while to finish over the years. Yeah. And I'm thinking back, unfortunately, all my all my notes on my collection and everything are, are in storage right now. But I do remember way back when, it was 1988, um, I was doing a lot of shows at the time, uh, setting up and selling at shows. I was probably doing three shows a month. I did that for probably a good two-year period. And I distinctly remember there was a show way upstate Connecticut, and uh, I set up at it. It turned to be a uh, debacle. They really didn't have a ton of people there. So anytime you do a show like that, obviously it's toward the end of the you know afternoon. Dealers want to make their table monies, so they're, they're pretty much unloading as much as they can that they know they can unload so they can, you know, come back with a little cash. So it was a, I still remember there was a dealer there, and he had a big bunch of 1950 Bowman football. And what I mean by a big bunch, he had about 20 of them. They were all different. And I, and I graded them pretty much. They were GD, GD, GDX. There was nothing, you know, no near mint cards and no stars in the lot. And I asked him, how much do you want for the whole lot? He said, just give me $20. I'll, I'll sell them to you for a buck a piece. <laughs> now, this is 1988. So I immediately pulled the 20 out of my pocket, gave it to him. And that was that was literally my start of the 1950 Bowman set. And it took a while to put it put it together over the years. But I didn't start that set to 1988. I do remember that to this day. So anyways... Hmm. It's a nice set. You've talked about it before. And it seems like football for most dealers is an afterthought. You cut out, Joe. Say that again. I'm sorry. Oh, I beg your pardon. I said you've talked about it before, but no it seemed like football uh, to most dealers who set up yeah. was an afterthought. Yeah. And I think, if memory serves me correctly, um, Leaf had an ex, uh, an exclusive contract on football cards in 1949. That's why Bowman did not print any Correct. cards in 1949, and then they went into 1950. All right, so I'm going to hand off to you because I know you got, you got a nice piece there uh, for the 1950 <laughs> Bowman. So. Yeah, 1950 Bowman, one of my favorites. Uh, it is uh, uh, the only 
set that I have an entire run of uncut sheets of. So there's uh, 144 cards, obviously, in the uh, 50 Bowman set, and they came in four sheets, uh, 36 cards per sheet, uh, nine cards in a row, four rows per card, per, uh, per sheet. So, you know, four by, you know, uh, four by nine. Uh, I always refer to those little square beauties, and I thought they were square until I was, you know, grabbing some notes for the show, and they're not. They're actually two and a sixteenth by two and a half, so they're slightly not square, which isn't that noticeable. You know, they're a little taller than they are, you know, wide. Uh, And this, this set is just riddled with Hall of Famers. I mean, you've got, I had to had to write them down. It's uh, you know, and you know Y.A. Tittle. Uh, although you could, you know, there's a, a there's a card that came before that. Lou the Toe Groza, Tony Cannondale, Glenn Davis, Joe Perry, Marion Motley, Otto Graham, Tom Fears, Elroy Hirsch, Dante Lavelli, uh, and uh, number 44 Knox Ramsey. Uh, and I also consider the number one card. Doak Walker to be his rookie card because mm-hmm. you know the forty eight Leafs that you know he was uh, you know for SMU, so uh, Doak Walker's number one card really really rare. I remember buying it once in a you know PSA PSA eight, uh, but uh, the, the the sheets are laid out numerically. Just uh, one you know card number one is upper left, card number two is next to it, you know card number nine is upper right, you know on sheet A. And the, so the, they, right. which is kind of a, a rarity that, that they numerically roll off, uh, with number four, number one forty-four, Knox Ramsey being in the lower right of sheet D, but uh, which is a pretty rare set or a pretty rare card. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, subject to the normal corner damage and you know as they come off for printing, but it's a great set. I mean, it's a, like you said, it's. Uh, you know, Leaf stopped producing in '49. In '49, that was their last set for a while. Bowman took over, and uh, for a couple of years, Tops was you know feeling around. They had the the, the felt backs in 1950, and the Tops Magic in '51. And then after that, they left them alone. So '52, '53, '54, Bowman ruled the the football card scene. And then in 1955, Tops came back and decided to try to usurp them and came out with their all-American, you know, uh, set, which since Bowman had the, had the rights to the NFL, all-American had to come out with, uh, you know, the collegiate, you know, just, cut, you know, it was, it was more college and past stars, you know, Don Hudson, Red Grange, Jim Thorpe, the, the four horsemen and tops made their cards cheaper, made them a little more colorful, made them larger, put, put more cards in a wax pack or cellar pack and, it uh, it did its job. It toppled Bowman. Fifty five was the last year Bowman made a set, but it's uh, which is pretty interesting when you think about it. just one year of going head to head and it, uh, it toppled them. It must have been pretty thin margins back then, I would would imagine. But well, I think really I, cool I think it was too folded up. I think I still think Bowman was more was more into the non-sports area than it was into sports. That was always my gut feeling. I, I mean, I, mm. I could be way off track, but uh, I think you're right. There were slim lar- margins as far as uh, sports cards were concerned, and there was much more value in the non-sports. But, again, that's, uh, you know, 
but so you know what we can uh, uh, assume and or try to surmise from from the situation. But get back to the yeah. fifty bombs that you're right. Everything everything you said is just incredible, and it's one of the few sets you said that the printing, uh, for lack of a better term, pagnation one card after another, numbered numerically, yeah. was logical. You know, so it made for a, a um, I think better cuts on the sheets. I could be wrong, but I think it um, it also made for better correlation at the same time. Not ever knowing what cards were in a 50 Bowman uh, wax pack and how easy or how difficult it was to make a set. Uh, this could have, you know, lent itself to being a, a pretty nice and easy set to put together and to collect and to put together from, you know, not that many wax packs type of thing. Yeah. I loved it. It's beautiful. Some really good-looking cards in there. One of my favorites, uh, which I'm sure you recognize, is Tank Younger. He's jumping like he's, you know, hurtling. You can see the bottom of his cleat, which is kind of a unique characteristic of this set. Uh, American flag, you know, in the background, uh, you know, which is just, you know, just a really cool shot. There's several, several uh, cards in this set that uh, show the infamous bottom of the cleat. This uh, this set is kind of known for that, which is, which is a silly thing, but it's kind of funny. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah. Otto Graham, I mean, it's uh, considered to be his his rookie card, even though there's you know the uh, the Sears card wasn't you know the the forty six Browns, it wasn't considered mainstream. So that forty six Brown Otto Graham isn't considered his rookie card. The fifty Bowman is. There's a there's a lot of that. You know, the rookie card has to be mainstream, and since the Sears card you know set was local, you know, to Cleveland, but uh, you know, Elroy Hirsch, Tom Sears. Y.A. Tittle, and again, you know, Y.A. Tittle, you know, card, even though there's a, there's a, you know, previous card of his. So, yeah, it's, it's a, just a, a good-looking so, set. And I, you're I, I, I really enjoy them. They're colorful. I love the way they look on my wall, the, the uncut sheets. The, um, you know, again, I know I've asked you this before. You're, in your estimation, if, if your wildest guess, how many – Uncut sheets? Do you think are actually oh. in still in existence today? Good question. Um, I, less, less, less than eight, less than seven. Uh, there's a couple of them that are partial. Like I had a partial uncut right. sheet of uh, of sheet B, I believe, and then I had, uh, you know, then I had, you know, sheet uh, sheet B, C, D. And then all four sheets came up for an auction about three years ago that I needed just sheet A. Right. So I was able to buy that. And yep. then I sold, you know, the, the B, C, and D. So at least two that I've seen in a partial. How many? That, that, that's literally it. Uh, I think Ted Z yeah. has, has, a, uh, has a, a, a uh, sheet A. He and I have exchanged some right. emails talking about the 52 Bowman uh, set. He used to have a... 52 Bowman uncut sheet that I really wanted, but you know, so I, I don't know. That's a good question. There's a, I, it's funny because to you me, know, I I think between chat boards and stuff that we know, you know, especially you, we know just about every collector. But there are still a bunch of collectors out there that are private. I get I I estimate, and I'm I'm pretty in 
in agreement with you. I I'd say there's only about six full sheets of all all yeah. four. There's like 24 full sheets in existence, and and probably a handful of partial sheets besides the ones you described. Yeah. You know what I mean? So um, I say there's yeah. probably six times four, 24 complete sheets, and that's it. And we know three, yeah. and we don't know where the other three are. And I and I still maintain. And the more since I've had a ton of time to think about things down here, I, I jotted down a few notes in collecting as far as we, like you said, you and I pretty much know all the football collectors um, that, are, that are out there. But I still maintain, and in trying to trace different things that have been bought and sold over the years, I still think there's probably a core of six unknown collectors that will never mm-hmm. – be ident- identified um, in the market and in our in our hobby. I really believe that. I think there's six unknowns uh, who are very private and who also use um, dealers or whoever to buy their stuff from, and they're sworn yeah. to secrecy type of thing. And you know that you know I get it. I understand you know type of thing. So um, I, I still say there's a big six out there, one way or the other. But getting back yeah. to the sheets here, I I do believe you're you're correct in, in what you're saying, and, and let's just call it maybe six to eight complete sheets. And, <laughs> and think about that. And that's a, these you know, users, seventy-two years old. You know, you know, coming up on seventy-two years old, uh, something made of cardboard that that's fragile. You know, that's seventy-two years old. Just that, you know, how many of them survived coming out of the factory and. Yep. As we've said before, paper drives, feast, famine, you know, just being stuffed in addicts, water damage, et cetera. There's just, uh, yep. it's, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, I don't know. It's really amazing. That's why I love uncut sheets. There's, there's no, nobody making them. Can't, can't make them. Can't right. recreate it. But I was just looking at There's the, no uh, fake. <laughs> it's just, for some reason, I went and clicked over, and the, the, I, I couldn't remember the name of it. It's the 49, 1949 Silk Silvers Bakery Company, which is where the white yep. Yep. part of here. I have, yep. I have one of those cards. It's my one of my favorite cards. Just the pre-rookie, you know. Yep. Yeah. Amazing. Truly amazing. Well, as we're going to move on to our next segment of our show, our special guest is here. And I'd like to introduce her to our audience. Our special guest has been collecting sports memorabilia, especially pocket schedules, which are also known as skids, for more than 40 years. She's written for a variety of hobby publications over the years, including the Skedder column in the Sports Collector's Digest from 1989 to 2006. She has produced the monthly Sked Collecting Newsletter, Minnesota Sked Collection, since 2001, and she was last on our show on June 19, 2013. She currently resides in Roseville, Minnesota, and I'd like to welcome to our show Judy Bartolin. Judy, welcome to the show. Wonderful. It's so great to be with you, gentlemen. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. And uh, it's been it's been eight years since we chatted. I know we had a few emails here and there. Uh, over the years, and I really feel I'm getting really old now uh, when, I, when I see the time <laughs> passing and, and seeing, uh, you know, it was eight years, and I can remember when you wrote 
for uh, SCD back when I wrote for SCD. Back I I know I know you and I go back a, a long way, Bob, a long long way. <laughs> <laughs> Holy man! I I I really I really feel my age this uh, this show. But anyways, um, <laughs> Judy, please tell us tell our audience again how you started collecting pocket schedules. I I was lucky enough to grow up in a collecting family. My parents were stamp collectors. My brother collected mostly baseball cards. The idea of collecting was something that was just in my household all the time. So I had cards and accumulated things like that and stuff. But honestly, one of the most pivotal things for me in terms of SCED collecting was I received a book as a gift called Free Stuff for Kids. And my big thing as a kid was I loved to get mail. Mail was like the greatest thing for me. And this is a whole book of things that I could send away for and people would send me things. And so my parents being stamp collectors, they didn't have any problem giving me stamps to send away for self-addressed stamped envelopes and things like that. And there were several sports teams that were in this book. And once I started to get those skeds back in the mail, I thought, this is cool. All I need to do is write to teams, and they send me things, which being <laughs> – I was I was probably about 11 at the time. The thought that I could do this in my mind without spending money, because my parents were not making me buy the stamps at that point, <laughs> the thought that I could just get these things to come to me with – Pretty minimal effort, not a lot of money. It it really it was it was the coolest thing. And once that happened, I realized that I could find at that time in in the early eighties, you could find pocket schedules in a lot of places. And so that that really it sounds silly, but it was very pivotal. It opened my eyes, and I kind of jumped right into the the collecting world. This would have been about nineteen eighty two. And uh, it helped certainly having uh, family members that collected other things. My brother was also, uh, he was a couple of years older than I am, and was in the baseball card world. And so we started getting hobby publications in the mail and things like that. And I found some people uh, in the classified ads that were trading skeds, and I jumped in and haven't looked back ever since. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. A bit off the here. I, I just want, I just want to ask you a quick question. I know you started writing for SCD um, the same time I was writing in 1989. Yep. Can you give us, can you give us a little background on that? Because I'm always, I'm always, I, I remember you telling me one other time, but I'm, I'm interested in uh, refreshing my memory on it. You know, so I. I had started writing for a newsletter that was uh, produced by a gentleman out of New Jersey uh, called, um, oh, goodness gracious, now I can't remember what it was called. Uh, it was, was, that, the was that Keith Scadbury? Uh, no, no, um, it was, uh, his name was Marty Falk. And oh, I okay, had yeah. just okay, started okay. writing a little bit about skeds from Minnesota and, uh, you know, Wisconsin, things that I would just kind of find locally. And I started doing that, I, I want to say it was 1987, but I knew 
a gentleman who wrote for Sports Collectors Digest named Dave Medema, and we had connected through okay, yep, yep, okay. Um, uh, a collector segment that used to appear in Baseball Hobby News, and you could do like a little bio and have your contact information. It all seems so quaint now, but <laughs> you'd have a little write, write up, and uh, you know you'd put your mailing address in there, and you know you might connect with other collectors. Right. And we had we had connected earlier in the 80s, and he he wrote for SCD for quite some time. His specialties were autographs and uniforms and some game-use memorabilia, right. but mostly uniforms. And right. after a couple of years of writing for the uh, newsletter, he, he said, well, why don't you just write something for SCD and get paid for money? Hmm. <laughs> and I... I was 17 at the time, and I was like, well, that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> so that's that's how I, I started uh, writing for SCD. I did that for many, many years. I, I loved it. Um, I, I miss it. It was something where there were several editorial changes, and the magazine, it just went a different direction from the kind of stuff I was doing. But I really loved doing that column. I connected with people all over the country and, and you know, some folks from Canada. and it, it was it was a great experience. I really loved doing it. Yeah, yeah I, I agree with you with that. So. Judy, thanks for being on the show. This is uh, Joe. It's, hey, uh, Joe, it's nice it's, to talk to you again. Yeah, it's <laughs> awesome. It, you know, it's funny. There's so many little, you know, facets, little tangents to our hobby and schedules is one of those. And I remember when we had you on as a guest, I was like, that's interesting. I mean, I own some schedules, but mostly it's because they have, you know, players on the front of them right. that I like, like Steve Largent, you know. Uh, and I was just fascinated. Like, people collect schedules. That's so interesting. Then again, you know, everyone outside of the people on the phone, you know, when they find out I, co- I collect, it's like, you collect <laughs> football cards? That's weird. Right, right, exactly. It's, it's all it's all weird, and then there's subsets of weirdness underneath each one. But, uh, yeah, and, and skins but, definitely fall into the subset of the subset of weirdness. Yeah, yeah. But tell us about, you know, what, what, what the, the, the specific pocket schedule hobby is like. I mean, and then there's teams that print them, that choose not to print them, et cetera. And I, I, yeah, so tell us about that. Well, I'll tell you that since the last time we spoke in 2013, the hobby has changed tremendously. And it's happened because of technology. It's happened because of budgets. It's happened uh, because of COVID. That hmm. when, we, when we talked in 2013, I would say that the collecting world was very robust in terms of a sked was something that very reliably you could assume a team was going to produce every year. And some teams went all out and produced many of them. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs for many years did a wonderful set of schedules where they would do uh, five or six you know, kind of card-sized mm-hmm. schedules with a different player on each one. They would do one for the mascot, Casey Wolf. I mean, it teams would go all out. College clubs would do that as well, where they might feature several players on, on different schedules. And, you know, come now, eight years later, and we're in a, a very different place in terms of new material being produced. The number of responses I get. I'm, I'm just looking at some that I got from uh, 
from NFL requests this year, New York Giants sent me a response. Due to the pandemic and just returning to the facility five weeks ago, we did not order pocket schedules for the 2021 season. Um, Arizona State University tells me we don't produce them any longer due to budget cuts. I mean, those sorts of things, that's just a, a sample, but that's something that is becoming more and more common these days. So you get a couple of different sides of things. You get the side where it's budget cuts and it costs money to print and produce schedule items. And so you see that a lot more with college programs. So there's fewer fewer college programs that are producing, um, mostly in terms of pocket schedules and schedule cards. Um, and then you get the environmental side of things where there's teams that are like, nope, we don't do paper things anymore because it's, it's, we don't want to use up the paper, we don't want to waste resources, things like that. Then you get the teams that are more, hey, we're on the cutting edge of technology. Everything we do is digital. And then you, you get the a whole idea that especially early on in the COVID-19 pandemic that people were like, ooh, I don't want to touch things anymore. And so teams stopped producing things on pieces of paper that people were going to touch. So that's a huge change from the last time that we spoke. But on the flip side of that, all of those things can lead to innovation. So there's actually, I think, some pretty interesting things uh, going on in the, the SCED collecting world right now. And one of my favorites actually came out of uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. And it's something, it's kind of controversial in terms of what, um, whether people like it or not. But some teams are using QR codes uh, on their schedules. Oh. So QR code You've got the you know kind of square with all little dots in it that you can scan with your mobile device, and it yeah, yeah. it links digital content. So, in early in the the pandemic, when teams and leagues were trying to schedule things and things would get moved and this and that, I think it became very impractical for a lot of teams to think, well, we're going to spend this chunk of money to produce a schedule that by the time we receive it from the printer is no longer going to be accurate. So um, the University of South Dakota did their schedule cards for the 2021 season, which actually was the 2020 season because the Missouri Valley Football Conference chose to move their 2020 season from the fall of 2020 to the spring of 2021. So the University of South Dakota, they did these two great schedule cards. Uh, One was uh, featuring their receiver, Cody Case, and another, uh, their punter, Brady Shutt. And they just did the QR code on the back because I think they were, you know, hedging their bets that whatever was accurate at the time they were going to printer might not be accurate by the time they were in people's hands. So I think that the the usage of the QR code, I think that could be a very interesting thing in terms of allowing teams still to produce a schedule item without that worry of if something changes, it's now obsolete and we've blown a bunch of money. Um, And a couple other things that I'm noticing is moving away 
especially in the NFL, a lot of teams are moving away from just your your basic paper pocket schedule or paper schedule card. And some teams are doing these uh, plastic key fobs. So you've got like your loyalty club card for your grocery store or something. You know, sometimes they give you, you've got the full-size card. And then yep. you've got the little one that you can break off and put on your keychain. Well, NFL clubs are doing that now. So in 2019, two teams that did that specifically, uh, the Baltimore Ravens and the New York Jets, both did that where they did um, a card schedule that was, you know, like that plastic loyalty card material. And then it had two of the little key fobs attached to it that you could snap off and put on your keychain. The Ravens one, it used the same design on, on all three of them, but the Jets one actually pictured different players on the, the different ones. Mm. Um, and cool. the Carolina Panthers are doing something similar, except they do theirs with the top half is actually a magnet, and then you can snap off the bottom uh, portion, and it's that mm-hmm. little fob. So I, I think it's, it's interesting that, you know, different circumstances – can breed innovation. And so I, I think it's interesting and exciting to see some of the places that things can go. But I am very concerned yeah, I, that there's not going to be a, a SCED collecting culture in the future because there's going to be fewer and fewer items produced as time goes on. And I think if you don't see something currently, it's harder to think, well, that was a thing that used to exist and I could go back and get it. Hmm. Good point. That's a good point. Very good point. Very good point. Um, you know, going along these same lines, I I printed my own pocket schedule, as you know, for years now, yeah. and I I really debated because of the move and everything if I was going to do one for this fall. For right. Pa- I do a Packers one every, every year, and um, I said to myself, no, let me get it done. I'll do it before I leave here. I used a, a local printer that I used for years, who basically printed them all for me. And uh, I said, I still got to get them out. And I think, you know, I said, I, I, I feel I need to help the hobby too. So I can, I know I can send these to Judy. And I know Judy can get them out to a bunch of collectors. And I know they'll, you know, enjoy it again. At least there'll be something physical, printed, current. And, right. Um, I, I'm gonna I'm going to continue doing it as long as I can, because I really feel it's, it's necessary for the hobby. And, again, it also shows I'm a dinosaur, because you couldn't get any pointer scheduled on Hyperin <laughs> anyway. So it's, it's pretty, cut, pretty pretty cut and dry. I mean, you know, it's it's an, old, it's an old-fashioned type sched, and that's it. But uh, I'm going to – I made a decision uh, thinking about it with, you know, seeing and reading your newsletter every month and seeing how fewer and fewer places are – or uh, teams and colleges are putting them out. I, I, you got to keep it going. I mean, that's the way I look at it. And you got to, got to be proactive on it at the same time. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and I, I really, I really think that that's going to be something very important going forward. Because truly, if if people are not already in the hobby, within the next ten years or so, they're not going to see enough schedule items in just their regular everyday life that they'll even know that they exist and that they could collect them. Right. And so I, I do think it's it's important. You know, I was saying back back in the eighties when I was growing up, 
I, I would. I would see schedules in lots of places. You know, you'd see them sometimes at the gas station or the grocery store or the liquor store, you know, in addition to the actual venues that you went to. A big thing for me as a kid, we did a lot of road trips across the country. I would find them at the uh, the state welcome centers where, you know, you, you've just entered a, a new state and they've got their their uh, rest area with the um, all of the tourist information, all the brochures, and I, I would find skeds in places yep. like that. And you, you just you just don't see that anymore. And so if the exposure right. isn't there, it's going to be a lot harder for people to decide this is something I want to collect. Exactly. exactly. And it's, it's probably going to go by the wayside like map collecting did. And, right. And a few exactly. other paper, exactly. type, paper, paper type of collectibles. And, you know, some people look at me like uh, I'm talking out of the top of my head when I say, well, do you, ha- you know, do you have a map or whatever type of thing? You know, what's a map? Just go on your on your phone and right. get it. You know, they don't they, they never saw a printed map before and how to read it type of thing. So and and you're seeing uh, you're seeing that really, I think. When you look even in the sports collecting world, you're seeing that now in two other areas, one especially being tickets, where it's very unusual now, especially if you're looking at a major league pro sport or a big-time college uh, sport. It's very rare to get an actual printed ticket. Uh, Most tickets now are digital. Uh, So ticket stub collecting... That's something else that's that's going to become a thing of the past. And I think that uh, right. things like printed game programs and media guides, that's by and large very digital right now, too. And so, like you said, really it's the the paper memorabilia. Any of the, the paper yep. subsets, I think, except for straight-up cards, which is another – story entirely about where that might be going but any of the paper memorabilia subsets of the sports collecting hobby i think all of them are going to be re-examining where they're going over the the next decade or so because it'll be the same thing if there's not if there's not something new that's coming out people aren't going to to know or realize or be interested in or want to collect that thing right Right, right. I agree a hundred percent. It it scares me. What scares me in a way, especially when you mentioned media guides. Try to find. I used to get years ago a complete set of NFL media guides every yep. season. You know, they were available. You wrote to your teams or whatever. A lot of times, I just got the media guide free type of thing. Forget it now. And and right. I'm, if I'm too late, if, if I'm too late ordering the Packers media guide, they're out. They're gone. Yeah. I gotta go on the secondary market and I'll pay forty, fifty dollars for a media guy. Mm-hmm. I'm saying to myself, you gotta be kidding, gotta be kidding me. I'm not gonna spend that kind of money for that. Right. You know, and that <laughs> puts another damper in the in the hobby at the same time because of just uh, it's it's uh, it's scary in a way. I mean, paper paper memorabilia, especially for sports. I agree with you hundred percent. It's um, unless you you're gonna bring new collectors in the market. Uh, I need a uh, dumpster, uh, which is going to be pretty large, to put my collection into it. You know what I'm right. saying? So it's, right, uh, absolutely. Not a good absolutely. Time. And I think, uh, I think all of us are, are facing that, realizing that in a lot of these areas, there aren't new or not a sizable number of new collectors coming into the hobby. Right, right. I agree. 
I agree 100%. Mm. On a lighter, on a, on a more positive note, Judy, can you uh, tell our audience what are your five top heads uh, in your collection and if you could describe them to our audience? Well, I I took a little bit of a different tact. I hope you guys don't mind. I took a little bit of a different tact uh, in terms of uh, five five favorite. Um, I kind of looked at some categories of things that um, because you know, as as Joe would say, you know, the the sked collecting we're we're kind of the subset of the subset of the weirdos. Well, I like even the weirder. <laughs> part of the subset of the subset of the subset. So I I was looking through some things, and I realized that some of my favorites kind of fall into categories. So uh, one of one of those categories is is straight-up oddball stuff. So in addition to mm-hmm. pieces of paper, you can print a schedule on anything, and I think folks have done that on just about anything over the years. So I was looking at some of my interesting things, um, got a whole pile of keychains, uh, some buttons, um, some coins. Uh, but one of my Ooh. favorites out of that subset of Oddball um, is a matchbook. It's a full matchbook for the Green Bay Packers. Uh, it was produced by M&I Banks in 1975. I don't know how I've managed mm-hmm. to keep it in such good condition over the years, uh, but the matches are all intact. Uh, the funny thing about this particular design is it's die cut, and so it's in the shape of the Packer helmet. But even though it's 1975, they didn't put a face mask on it or anything, and so it looks even more old-fashioned than it is because it's just the actual helmet, and it's die cut around it, and uh, it's got the matches inside. So that's that's one of my favorites just because – it's a little more interesting, a little more out there. Um, another category that I really enjoy over the years are political skeds. So people forget that in addition to advertising when the games are taking place, over the years a lot of the purpose of a sked has been to advertise whoever wants to pay the money to make the sked. And so that's why over the years, you know, you've seen all sorts of beer companies and local car dealerships and, you know, whatever the businesses might be, they want to put their name on it to get their name associated with that team and promote their own business. Well, the same goes through with politicians. So because football season and election season – seem to uh, coincide, both happening in the fall. It's uh, been pretty common over the years to have politicians produce skeds that they can hand out when they're going to those local fall festivals or parades or other events. And uh, so one that I have, I have quite the run of uh, Congressman Bill Luther from Minnesota. He, uh, my collection with him starts in 1993 when he was just running for Congress. And then um, I move on to 1995, 97, 99, and 2000 when he was uh, serving in Congress uh, for Minnesota. And he was never my congressman, but he was a Minnesota congressman. And he uh, sponsored Viking schedules uh, over the years, which were very interesting. Um, I also found when I was looking through some of my things today, 
Um, a sked that was produced by Senator John Glenn from Ohio, um, 1991. Mm-hmm. It featured the Bengals schedule on one side and the Ohio State football schedule on one side. And just thinking of somebody who, you know, lived such a tremendous life, you get that intersection of sports and and politics. And you know, obviously for John Glenn, you know, he got the uh, NASA history and and all of that as well. So. Um, that was that was another one that stood out for me. And then I, I pulled out two. Uh, this is not not pandering to Bob, but a little bit pandering to Bob. Uh, I pulled out two uh, Packer ba- Badger schedules that I have. Um, one was um, Governor of Wisconsin Tommy Thompson from 1994, and it featured the Packer and the University of Wisconsin Badger schedule. And then I pulled out... I pulled out uh, another one. Let's see. Bob Welch was also from 1994. He was running for uh, U.S. Senate that year from Wisconsin. Um, I pulled out uh, the Bob Welch one because he he served in uh, Wisconsin State Senate for many years, but we actually have the same alma mater of Ripon College, which is a very tiny school in Wisconsin that not many people went to. So I'm throwing that one out there. Uh, uh, Shout out to the alma mater. Uh, for that one, <laughs> and then, and then my other category that I looked at were credit union schedules. So, here in Minnesota, credit unions are are a big thing. They have been for many years, and for whatever reason, I have no idea why, but many credit unions produced SCEDs over the years. And I was a member. Mm-hmm. I still am a, a member of a credit union for. Uh, Toro employees, because my father worked for Toro for many years, and so it was always very exciting in the fall when the new sked would come out. So this brings us back to 1982, which apparently was a very pivotal year in my collecting, but um, I've got quite a run of uh, credit union schedules, mostly from Toro, but other local credit unions kind of petered out as we got into the the late 90s. they they used to do one printed for all of these different credit unions. It was the same design. It had a blank spot on the back. And then each credit union could do their own run of them. And then by the end, they would produce the schedule. It would be the one with the blank back, and then none of the credit unions would actually print their own information on it. So it, it eventually petered out. But these were schedules that um, – had the Vikings and the uh, University of Minnesota Gopher football schedules in them, so um, okay. I I love I love those. Um, they're not a whole lot to look at. Uh, the design state. I'm looking at 1982, 83, 84, and 86. I'm looking at all of those right now. They have the exact same design. They just slightly changed the printing colors on them. Oh, 387. Yeah, it was the exact same. Design. So it, it wasn't something uh-huh. that you would look at and say, oh, wow, that was really aesthetically pleasing. <laughs> but, um, and then my other category, I think this is going to throw both of you gentlemen for a loop. Um, again, we're going back to 1982. FLIR teams in action football. Oh, so yeah. yep. this was yep. when I discovered oh, yeah. that I could buy a pack of cards that had a sked in the pack. Again, yep. this was mind-blowing. Yep. This was as mind-blowing as realizing I could write to teams and they would send me things for free in the mail. <laughs> but most people, you would think, would be buying the pack of cards for the cards. 
I bought the packs of cards, and I bought a lot of them. Not as many in 82, but in 83, I really went all out um, because they had the logo stickers, and the logo stickers had the team schedule on the back. And I love looking at them now, uh, especially when you see the, the teams that are no longer in the same places. I pulled out some St. Louis Cardinals and Baltimore Colts and Houston Oilers stickers to look at. Uh, mm-hmm. But the, the whole idea that now I had the best of both worlds, I could find skeds for free anywhere I wanted, or I could buy a pack of cards and they would also give me skeds. Uh, so wow. I, I wanted to, to include those. And then I, I just wanted to, to mention, and I know that it's a cop-out because I used it last time when we spoke, but uh, the 1988 and 1989 University of Minnesota Gopher uh, football schedule cards right. both featured my favorite football player of all time, running back Daryl Thompson. And he's one of the only people in years and years of Gopher schedules that ever got to be on the sched twice. He was such a joy to watch. I actually uh, sent him one of the the 1980. I think I, I think I sent him the 88 card, and he sent me both the 88 and the 89 back, uh, which he autographed at the time while he was still in college. And he wrote me a letter on wide ruled lined notebook paper that said "Football is almost over for me, Judy," and I still have that. It's one of my most treasured collectibles because football was not over for Daryl Thompson because, again, pandering to Bob, Daryl went on to be drafted by the Packers, and he did not have a long NFL career, but he did he did play no, in the no. NFL, and uh, it did coincide, actually, with when I was going to school in Wisconsin. Uh, so I, I got to uh, enjoy his, his uh, college career living in Minnesota, and we, we coincided his Packer years. It, it coincided with my college years in Wisconsin. So I, uh, wow. I, I think the personal can sometimes you know, be, be some of the of most course. meaningful things that you can collect. Mm-hmm. He, he was truly, truly my favorite favorite player. I'm, I'm also one of those people that my favorite player is really never anybody else's favorite player. <laughs> um, but That's I, right. I loved, right. I loved to watch that man run the ball. He was, he was a great, great running back, especially in college. Wow. And who, who knows? You, cool. you meet a player, you, you know, whatever. I mean, it, right? It, exactly. You know, suddenly they're your favorite player. You never know what puts you on that path. The reason I'm a huge Steve Largent fan is my mom pulled me out of fourth grade to go meet him when he was signing autographs for the opening of a GI Joe's, which is running with a sports <laughs> That's incredible. I mean, who knows? Who knows? I might have been a Jim Zorn fan if uh, if Jim Zorn. Hey, right. If the circumstances would have been different, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, but you've been doing this so long. I mean, and just you know, when you came on the show, just hearing you and Bob laugh, uh, you know, just you know, just. You know, just you know, knowing what you guys know, just you, you've got to have some, you know, some stories, you know, in the you know collecting schedules. Would you like? Would you like to share a couple? I, you know, I I was really thinking about the the collecting stories, and you know, it, it comes back to what I was saying about the the personal. I I couldn't really think of of any great stories about you know, finding a, an interesting sked or anything like that. or 
but I, I thought about about some of the types of things that you're talking about about meeting Steve Largent um, in 1982 during the NFL strike. I again, we're back in '82 again. I was mm-hmm. ice skating at our local ice arena, which was my pastime during those years. And there was suddenly this commotion, and all of the kids that, that were there, because ice skating was a, a big thing where I grew up, and so there were lots of other kids my age that were there at the time. And finally I went over and I asked somebody, you know, what's happening? And they're like, that's Tommy Kramer. And Tommy Kramer, who was the Vikings <laughs> quarterback at the time, was ice skating at our local ice skating rink. He, he looked very much like he was on a date. Um, he was not a good ice skater. He was wearing rental ice skates, uh, but they did find scraps of uh, it was it was like old old skating passes that they let everybody use the back of, and so they got a pencil from the office. <laughs> and so I I have my my Tommy Kramer autograph back of the uh, Braemar Ice Arena, you know, expired skating <laughs> pass from 1982. That was from pretty hilarious. <laughs> oh. um, and then in, uh, in 1999, that's, that's I think it was. very thinly traded, by the way. That, that is a yeah, very right. thinly traded <laughs> item. Yes. I, uh, I won... I won a contest that was put on by Titino's Pizza, a frozen pizza company, that they had this promotion where you could win a pizza party with a Vikings player and play Madden football at the Mall of America, which was, it wasn't even 10 years old yet at the time. And I actually won it twice. And so I got to go and uh, play video games with uh, defensive back Robert Griffith, and tight end Andrew Glover at two different times. Turns out I am horrible at video games. Um, not not <laughs> something that I am good at at all. But it was it, very enjoyable to to get to spend some time with both of those gentlemen, and they did uh, autograph football for for all of us and stuff. But yeah, I never never mastered wow. the, the video game. <laughs> not not a skill set that I have. I'm much better at pretty much anything else. <laughs> Well, you know, Judy, it's tough. It's tough to find pinball machines today. So just to date myself with right, that. Right. Exactly. Know, exactly. Like, <laughs> I mean, those you know, you could always kind of lean into it if you needed a little help. But yeah, the, the video games, nothing, nothing's going to help me. Unbelievable. Judy, we talked a, a little bit about this before, but again, just reiterate, um, what do you think the future looks for? Looks like for our skid collecting hobby. You know, I don't. I don't want to be bleak. Um, I do think that there's going to be a lot fewer printed materials. I think that there's going to be more of the case, uh, Bob, like you were talking about with the media guides, where some of them will still be produced, but they'll be produced in far fewer quantities. And so it will be a case of can you be the person at the right place at the right time to to get what's actually available? I think that there are opportunities for innovation. I don't really know how I feel about that personally in terms of collecting, but I'm noticing the the whole thing with NFTs right now, the non-fungible tokens. Um, I'm getting some email notifications for things like the the Vikings Thursday night game against the Steelers this year. If you bought a ticket to that game – you received an NFT 
ticket of that game. And so I'm wondering if there's going to be more um, digital collectibles, which I'm too old school. I still have a hard time wrapping my head around the whole idea of a digital collectible. Um, But (laughs) I think that that's a way that the hobby can continue because I think that there will be people who, if they are interested in a digital collectible, may realize that at one time this digital collectible had a real-world standalone thing you could hold in your hand collectible. And I think that there's the potential there for people to cross over from that. Um, in, right. in terms of, like, strictly digital collecting, honestly, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. I want to get it. I hope that someday I get it. I, I don't yet. I don't yet. I have a hard time wrapping my head around it. No, it's valid. That's very well. Very well. Hey, well, we're running out of time, so Joe, uh, get into your next question, and then uh, we're going to have to wrap it up pretty fast. Yeah. You've been doing it for so long. You have such an extensive collection. What's on your want list? What's uh, what's your What are your white whales? You know, I it was hard to think about this one as, as well, because honestly I've spent so much time over the years as more of an accumulator than an actual collector. I, I kind of view myself more like that. But I started to think about it, uh-huh. and we're going back to the whole idea of the, the personal. And um, my dad played in a bowl game, and by playing in a bowl game, I mean he played trombone in a bowl game. Uh, he played in the uh, 1966 uh-huh. Camellia Bowl uh, featuring uh, his – his uh, school at the time, Montana State University. And we have the game program from that game, and we still have his trombone. And luckily we, we still have him. He's still with us. But it would be very interesting to, to find more memorabilia. The older I get, the more I'm, I'm interested in the personal family history. And uh, to have tangible things that go along with that, I think it would be very interesting to uh, look into some memorabilia from that 1966 Montana yeah. State football team, as well as the 66 Camellia Bowl that he was lucky enough to be a member of the marching band for. Wow. That's very cool. I love you started off with that. He played in a he played in a game. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. He played trombone. <laughs> yep, he was a great trombonist. He really was. But, uh, yeah, I don't oh, think so he good. ever played football in his life. <laughs> That's great. Here he Question, any advice for a beginning collector in the hobby? Collect what you love. I know it's a cliche, but collect what you love. Um, Nice thing about skeds is you can go as wide as you want or as narrow as you want, and at any point you can change your focus. Um, The Internet, obviously, is an incredible resource that did not exist when any of us started collecting. Reach out to collectors there. You know, reach out. You'll, You'll find information on current schedules, how to contact teams, you'll find um, vintage schedules, you'll find things that you can buy, things you can trade, people you can meet. Uh, it's it's an incredible resource that's really brought the hobby together in a lot of ways. Uh, so use it to your advantage. Very true. Good point. Judy, thank you for being on. We're almost out of time. Uh, it's great catching up. And I do look forward to my uh, monthly Minnesota Sked uh, newsletter. Quickly, I it's in the mail. I put it in the mail on Wednesday, so maybe you'll even get it today. Great. <laughs> and if anybody wants to subscribe to it, how can they get a hold of you? 
Uh, the easiest way to get a hold of me, because I'm the last person on earth who does not have social media, is to email me at <laughs> thesketter at email.com. So T-H-E-S-K-E-D-D-E-R at email, with an E as in eagle, email.com. Um, it's $18 for 12 issues, or if they are a subscriber of Gridiron Greats, they can just look uh, at my ad in the magazine. Um, it's got my mailing address as well as uh, the email address in there as well. That's great. Judy, thanks for being on. Joe, we're down It's to been fantastic to talk to both of you. Thanks for the opportunity to catch up. I really, really enjoy it. Thank you, Judy. Joe, quick, what did you pick up on today's show? <laughs> Subset of subset. subset. It might, might not be mainstream, but it's cool. Really, really good guest. She's wonderful. Scare collecting is a lot of fun. I've always, I've always enjoyed scare collecting. GridironGraceMagazine.com. If you're not a subscriber, what are you waiting for? Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another show. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.